Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Welcome to the Heat Check. I'm Wes Goldberg, editor of AllYouCanHeat.com. With me as always, it's David Ramil. How are you doing, David? Um, disabled list and ready for action, my friend. <laughs> well, you were on the disabled list. Did you have the flu? <laughs> I was just uh, disabled from celebrating our victory over the, the Oh, oh, hungover. The hungover <laughs> list. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing the- like starting off the week with a hangover, especially after celebrating, you know, beating uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Mark Cuban, and the rest of the gang. On the bright side, you get to wear sweatpants all day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my um, let's just get right into it. That game, the Heat looked just really, really good. And I know that's a kind of a stupid thing to say, but they haven't looked that good all year. And, you know, they beat a good Mavericks team that was 4-2. Tyson Chandler's back. Uh, Chandler Parsons they got. Dirk's having a good year. Monte's having a good year. And the Heat just... Dominated that ball game from you know two minutes left in the first quarter. They they got a twenty two to twenty lead, I believe, and just didn't let it go. And Dwayne Wade said it was the best one of the season. I think it was quite obvious. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the the feel good wins over Washington and Toronto, which are the only legitimate playoff contenders that we beat, I think um, those were good wins uh, early at home to you know start off the season. You know, they were convincing, but. Last night's was definitely a good benchmark for the rest of the season. I mean, that, that shows that on the second night of a back-to-back after a shaky victory over Minnesota on Saturday, we traveled to face a really good, really deep Dallas team that is a legitimate title contender. I mm-hmm. think everybody admits that. And then for us to go there and just um, you know beat them defensively and control the game, the tempo all the way through offensively, and we saw the most dynamic version of this team, Maybe it's a, due to the return of Josh McRoberts and him getting some significant minutes because he looked like he was a, a good facilitator on there, but it was team-wide. It was an incredible effort all around. Yeah, McRoberts also did a really, really good job on defense. Uh, there were times where he was up against Dirk. Uh, yeah. As a team, they didn't let Dirk get into a rhythm. I think that was huge. Um, he got matched up on Tyson a couple times on switches. He played well. Josh McRoberts is a very good defender. Everybody keeps talking about him walking in and fixing the ball movement and elevating this team on a whole other level on offense. But on defense, he's very good, and he's probably better than Sean Williams at, on that end, too. Well, I mean, even Williams has played above what we expected. I don't think anybody considered McRoberts an elite-level defender when he came in there. He's active, but I think he takes a lot of chances. I guess that's just the way he plays the game overall. He plays it on offense. He plays it on defense. He's willing to make a risk here and there, and usually it pays off, or at least that's what we've seen so far. But I don't know that anybody really considered him to be a very good, solid defender, but he's, he's proven that. I mean, maybe it's just part of the system. Maybe it's just – I mean, I know he was a part of Charlotte's excellent team defense last year, but I didn't know that as an individual defender he'd be as good as he was. But he's been impressive. I, I, I have to admit that using his length, his size, he was able to harass Nowitzki. I mean, held him to 17 points. I'd written in my preview that that was something that had happened a couple nights ago when they chased the 
Trailblazers and lost against Portland. And that was the model that we needed to implement as well. So mm-hmm. we did that. We, I mean, we went in there and, and we shut down Nowitzki to an extent. And it didn't hurt that, uh, you know, that Chadler Parsons had one of his worst nights of the season. Parsons had a couple. Of, I think the first night of the season for Parsons, yeah. he had like a game like that too. Um, yeah. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be some a work in progress for him. But what what impressed me the most about um, the Heat last night, I think it's what impressed everybody was the ball movement. But everybody keeps talking about this ball movement and how they they're going to be like more Spursy this year and all this stuff. But and you know, I've written a million times about how they're going to draw on what they learned from the San Antonio Spurs, and but they really haven't. You know, you're look. I I really wanted to f- see how they were going to improve that ball movement, especially with Josh McRoberts back, and he played more minutes than he's played all season, I believe, last night. And um, and by the way, he's totally healthy. I think it's just a mat. I think uh, he'll probably be starting Wednesday against the Pacers. I would I would think I'd probably bet a couple bucks on that. But um, they don't really make any. They don't really have any set plays for anybody. You know, Luol Dang went off for 30 points. We could talk about that in a second. But um, they didn't really have any set plays. There's not really any off-ball movement and, and off-screens and all these things that are like just look like plays. It's just very reactionary. You have Wade in the post. You have Bosch spacing the floor. And you have Dang, who's cutting to the basket. And then you kind of have everybody else like out on the perimeter doing their thing. And... It's just a very reactionary type of ball movement, and I think that's why you don't see Josh McRoberts back into the starting lineup immediately because it's just so based on instincts and chemistry and just their feel with the other players on the court that because McRoberts hasn't played in the preseason or very and very little in training camp and things and and coming off the bench now in the regular season, I just don't think that that chemistry is right there just yet, and that's why they kind of are increasing his minutes by one or two minutes per game until I guess he's the starter. I guess that's the plan. And then, um, But I was just very interested in that because that's basically what the Heat were the last four years was reactionary type ball movement with LeBron kind of initiating everything. And now it's either Wade or Bosh initiating everything. And Wade's really taken that LeBron role of facilitating from the post, and he's doing really, really well in that position. Isn't the whole concept of the, you know, the ball rotation kind of buoyed you know by by the you know perimeter shooting that we have available to us now i don't think anybody expected and again sean williams to be as much of a factor as he's mm-hmm. been but i think he's been an essential part of the whole rotation there because you have to respect the outside shot there and then he's creating mismatches as, as the defense kind of has to shift their priorities and rotate around and they've missed that rotation and that allows more athletic guys like you know, Wade and Dang to cut to the hoop effectively. Even Williams, we saw him get a couple of shots around the basket. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to be such an important part of the offense. I mean, you mentioned that maybe McRoberts will be a starter. I kind of hate to see Williams relegated to the bench. I don't know yeah. if he's going to have that kind of same confidence level. It's, it's an interesting question for Spolster to answer. I'm not sure how they'll address it because of the two, I would say that Williams probably needs to have that starting nod a little bit more. I'm looking at the numbers right now. He only played 19 minutes, and yet it seems like he's a much more effective part of it when he's out there. McRoberts played 17, you know. So they're, yeah. they're not that different as far as how the minutes are being built I was out. I was wondering that same thing was, Sean Williams has played so well, and probably better than even the Heat have thought that he would play. And uh, 
I wonder if it's the right move to take him out of the starting lineup, especially when they they're five and two, they're winning games, they look like everything's clicking right now. McRoberts coming off the bench would is a huge boost to the second unit. He's probably more valuable off the bench than Sean Williams is at this point, um, just because he could do a little bit more on his own uh, as far as creating shots is concerned. So I I kind of wanted to bring it up on the last podcast we did last week because Sean Williams has been playing so well that it might not be the right move to bench Williams. But, and he's a, he's, a, he's a better shooter than McRoberts yeah, exactly. at this point. And I think you know, Norris Cole is kind of not shooting as well as we'd like from the point guard position. So if you kind of have to balance it out with Cole starting and you want that outside shooting, you leave Williams in there. And then when McRoberts comes in, he's usually there with the second team that includes Chalmers, who's a much better shooter at the guard position, or Napier, who's still a threat. I mean, he's not knocking down those shots regularly. But at least you have a legitimate perimeter shooter that you have to respect. You have to guard him. Um, I think... I think it's just you have to figure out what what you know what units rotations work best, and mm-hmm. I think Smolster's done a pretty good job so far. I mean, it worked to perfection yesterday. And I know that the Luol Deng thirty points. I mean, that's an aberration. I'd love to say that we're going to see that much more regularly, but I mean that that was great. I mean, the way he he got his shots. I think you mentioned that he wasn't creating his own shot, but he was just the recipient of so many yeah. great passes. Uh, either on the perimeter or by the hoop, and it really worked out so well for the team last night. Yeah, he really was. I don't know. Um, Wade had 10 assists. Bosch had, I believe, 5, and uh, a lot of those went to Dang. I don't know what the Heat do when Danny Granger gets back. And I've I've been saying this this whole time, was that um, somebody's going to get pushed out of this lineup somebody's going to and and somebody's not going to be happy about it because when granger comes back and everybody's healthy how many minutes do you play Sean Williams how many minutes do you play granger now what happens to uh, James Ennis it's there's too many it's a little crowded and i don't even know if uh, if granger is better than ennis at this point well ennis only played 3 minutes last night so yeah. it seems like he's getting bumped out of the rotation yeah i guess because McRoberts is getting more minutes too and I don't know if that affects Ennis as much, but I guess there's just not that many minutes to go around anymore. But somebody is getting pushed out. And we still haven't seen Shannon Brown really at all. And I just, they signed a lot of guys, and I think they just basically threw something at the wall, and they were going to say, okay, let's see which lineup works the best. And they ended up with this one, and that's why I think we have questions about if Sean Williams should even go to the bench at all. And maybe Josh McRoberts could come off the bench. Because the thing is, with Josh McRoberts off the bench, I think we compared him to Boris Diaw since this whole season's theme was um, LeBron's gone, let's just copy the Spurs now. And so Mick Roberts was kind of our Boris Diaw. And Boris Diaw comes off the bench for the Spurs. I don't think Spolstra thinks this way, but it, there, there's a the model's there, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, and Haslam has been a real you know a find, I guess. It's tough to say <laughs> considering you know the number of years he's had with Miami, but... I mean, coming in for the last two games, he's been a factor. And I don't think, you know, obviously you and I didn't expect that kind of contribution from him. And maybe it worked out because it's going to be on a game-for-game basis where, depending on the matchups, then maybe you can maximize what, you know, Haslam can do and he won't be as much of a limitation on offense. You know, you had Nikola Pekovic on Saturday, who's a big, burly-type center who, you know, maybe Haslam can guard necessarily effectively or consistently, but at least he can put a body on him. Um, 
considering with you know what you get out of maybe Tyson Chandler, he's not much of an offensive force. Obviously, he finished off a lot of shots around the rim, you know, putbacks and dunks, etc. But at least you know Haslam can stay with him somewhat. So I, th- I think it's just going to be a matter of you know he'll probably wind up losing those minutes once Granger gets back because I think you know un- unless it's a situation where Haslam's going to be able to contribute effectively. Uh, I think uh, Granger's probably a better option offensively, yeah. so I think he'll wind up stealing some of those minutes away from UD. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought Pekovic because uh, we saw the adjustment that the Heat made against the Timberwolves after the Al Jefferson and Dwight Howard kind of uh, dominating, dominating performances that they had against the Heat. And so Miami basically just doubled Peck as soon as he got the ball in the post. It just basically it, As soon as he caught it, they just they crowded his space and they just... They they just even if they couldn't keep him away from the basket or even keep him from scoring, they at least made it more difficult than what Al Jefferson was doing and what Dwight Howard was doing, which was basically just putting their arms up and placing the ball into the basket. And uh, I think that was good. I think Peck still went like six for ten or something and scored like nineteen points. Like he had a good game and an efficient game, but they on a point to point basis, they made it they made life more difficult for Pekovic than they did Al or, or Dwight Howard. And I think that's basically what they're going to do all year is they're just going to use the athleticism that they have on the floor and just double the guy as soon as they can. And if that that big man happens to be a Marcus Saul type or an Andrew Bogut type who can facilitate, then you're just hoping that your closeouts and your rotations are quick enough that you don't get killed with it, which is what they couldn't do last year. And they did get killed with it last year because guys like Shane Battier and Richard Lewis and James Jones and all those guys just weren't quick enough on their closeouts anymore. Yeah. What do you what do you think about Lowell's performance overall? I mean, looking at the numbers here, that's ridiculous. Thirteen of nineteen, four of nine from downtown, yeah. five rebounds, four assists. So I mean, he was active. I mean, he was just sensational. I mean, the player of the game, clearly, right? He's absolutely taken on Dwayne Wade's role as the cutter, and he's mastered it. I mean, his if you just watch Lowell Dang on a play to play basis, which is what I basically ended up doing. Uh, yesterday, when he was kind of going off, um, he's just there's so many times where he cuts to the basket and is open, but still won't even receive the ball. Like for the amount of times where he cut to the basket and was open, he probably could have scored even 36 points. Like they probably missed him that like a, two or three more times, and um, just wide open. I'm talking about not even like for contested looks, and so so he's kind of replaced Wade in that regard and he's doing a really good job and like I said he didn't really create many of his shots and Wade and Bosch did that and that was fine they found the hot hand and he had it and he was just there was obviously a mismatch there at some point and the Mavericks just couldn't keep a guy on him he just he was feeling it he just kind of was like a Wes Welker just finding the hole the holes in the zone and just exploiting it I think overall like yeah you're right we're not going to see 30 points from him on a every night, but we knew that going in, right? Like, you and I talked about this going into the season. Like, he's going to score 10 to 15 points a game, probably, but there will be those games where he scores 30 points. Yeah, and his shot did look, I mean, I know it's not much of an analysis here, but it looked a little bit smoother last mm-hmm. night. You know, he'd been shooting somewhat flat. I think they even pointed that out in the broadcast at one point. That he was shooting flat through the first few nice. games of the season. And last night there was just a rhythm to it. He was catching it smoothly, you know, rising up, and he knocked him down. I mean, I'm looking at the shot charts now. He's, he's hitting from outside. He's hitting from mid range. You know, he did excellent work around the hoop. And, and they're looking for him, like you know, against Minnesota and Dallas. He was the first shot of the game, so maybe it's a consistent effort. I know there was an article that came out, I think, 
on Saturday where basically he admitted that he's still trying to kind of find his way amongst the team, and he's just learning how to fit in. Maybe there's this consistent effort here, concerted effort rather, to try and get him the ball early on, have him get hot early and knowing that they're going to count on him. Because I think that was one of the things that they mentioned in the article was that they, they, they are counting on him as being that consistent third quarter. There was something else I'd, I'd seen earlier where it's obvious that Miami needs a third person to step up. If it's going to be Deng, that's great, but it has to be somebody, either McRoberts, maybe Sean yeah. Williams, maybe, maybe you know, um, Mario Chalmers off the bench because he's been, he's been doing that as a sixth man. So He was yeah, almost the great. third guy yesterday. He scored 18 yeah. points. Even if Deng had an average game where he scored 15 points, Chalmers still scored 18. The Heat still would have won that game. Yeah, yeah. 18 points, 6 of 9 shooting. I mean, yeah. That's ridiculous. Started 5 of 5. Yeah, that is the, the great six-man performance we come to expect from Mario Chalmers this season. Yeah, and it was overshadowed by Dang's performance. Poor Chalmers. Nobody gives I mean, him any credit. Everybody, everybody remembers him for the fight that he picked against Tyson Chandler. Wasn't that great? <laughs> I was... You could tell Tyson Chandler was kind of laughing. He was, he was almost saying to Chalmers, "Are you are you serious right now? What are you doing? I'm a foot taller than you." You know, Tyson Chandler to me is one of those big tough guys. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know where he fits as far as the, the Blake Griffin scale is concerned, but I, I mean, he, he's got he's, chicken legs. Yes, yes. Thank you. I was going to bring it up. There's that infamous picture of him at the gym, and it's like you know somebody forgot to do leg day for the last. 10 years. That's why Haslam's such a good matchup on him. <laughs> right. Because he's probably 10 times stronger than him from the hips down, which is incredible. But yeah, you know, despite his height, despite his incredible shoulder strength or whatever, I mean, he just looks like he can be you know, knocked over pretty easily. So, Do you uh, remember that like you know, narrative where Haslam had the lower body strength? That was either last yeah. year or two years ago. When was that? It was last year. Ethan Skolnick did that great piece about him and how effective he is guarding Roy Hibbert. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. See, because it was Skolnick, I appreciate it, but people started really picking that up and running with it, the lower body strength thing. And I don't think anybody really knows what that means sometimes when they say that. Like, I heard it in broadcasts and in other posts and articles and stuff, and I don't know. That's just one of those things where it's just, oh, yeah, Haslam, he's got lower body strength. Do you even know how that impacts the game? I don't know. I, I just got... I hate when people get onto that narrative and just like throw that into into stuff. But well, I, I probably I probably hitched along there for a bit. So I probably did I, I too. Just guilty. Yeah. I mean, I think he explained it really succinctly in the yeah. sense that I mean, they did a film study together, which is a great thing that that Skolnick did with him, and mm-hmm. that's you know, he sat down, watched a particular game where he was able to keep Hibbert out, and he just I mean, he really just drops down there, puts his shoulder like mid back. And, and he, you know, despite the height difference between you know Roy Hibbert and, and Haslam, he keeps him out of his comfort zone, away from the restricted area. Yeah. Um, and and he just he, you could see him kind of lean in and using his weight and his strength as he's shoving Hibbert in the mid back there. And you know, like you said, using that leg strength. And maybe it sounds hokey or cliche. Or well, it sounds more like a technique than it does just pure strength. You'd figure like a lot of uh, basketball players have lower leg strength, but that sounds more of just getting your pads low kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know. It's probably a combination of both. But here we are, getting off off track. Uh, more about that Dallas game. Other than Dang, who were you most impressed with? God, that's a tough one. Um, can you say Dwayne Wade? I yeah. guess. I mean, he's not Dang. No, no, 
right, he isn't. Um, <laughs> he's just... It's tough to say at this point because, I mean, you and I have seen him throughout his whole career in Miami. Uh, he's just a tremendous player. We've seen incredible MVP-type performances from him. But I guess maybe we hadn't expected that to be the case this year. And we, were, we knew he was going to get an increase in usage rate and he was going to be more of a part of the offense. But he's just, like you said earlier, he, he's really embraced that facilitator role. He, he's doing mm-hmm. pretty much everything. He, he's been knocking down three quarters. I know he's only got four in the season, but I mean, considering we're you know seven games into it, that's pretty good for for Dwayne Wade. That's that's much better. I don't know what his percentage is, but it's probably much higher than it's been throughout the rest of his career. And if that's the case, then he's just able to do everything. There is no glaring weakness to his game. Maybe he's not as explosive as he once was, but even in that case, he looks like he's, he's combining his athleticism in key moments, but at the same time also using that smart old man game. Like you said, he's working from the low post. He knows when he has a mispatch. I mean, that, that great post up on, on Monte Ellis, I mean, he yeah. was smooth. I mean, he, you know, Ellis was completely you know taken back by that. He had no idea that was coming. I guess he thought that, that, that you know, Wade would settle for a turnaround jumper. Instead, he just kind of looked left and then went quickly around. Didn't have to hook him or anything, and he went smoothly to the hole. The hoop at Ford, even Tyson Chandler could recover and try on the second night of a back to back. He did that, yes, yes. And um, so I'm just gonna say this, I'm gonna just throw it out there Dwayne Wade's plant having a better season than LeBron James. Yeah, I don't see why you can't make that statement. I mean, maybe the numbers don't show that because you know, maybe he's outscored him on a few games, but effectively, I, I'd say so. I think, as far as his effectiveness is concerned, yes, yeah, certainly, I would say that Dwayne Wade's having a better year. <laughs> He's absolutely, I've been blown away with Dwayne Wade, and there's two players that I've been blown away with, or three, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and Shabazz Napier, and I think I've, I text you probably like once a day or something about Shabazz Napier, like I just tell you how I love him and I think I'm in love with him, um, but uh, did, didn't I text you that last night? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, it's starting to weird me out a little bit, I don't uh, want to mention it, but no, that's fine. maybe this isn't the right time for it. <laughs> Um, but Dwayne Wade I think people were questioning if he can kind of return to that alpha dog role that he was in and it's almost as if he never left it's he just seems so comfortable still and it's 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 blowing me away that I think you mentioned the usage rate Wade before LeBron had one of was like the second highest usage rate amongst, amongst guards ever just behind Michael Jordan and he's just kind of went right back into that. It's been that, that weird four years. The four years is almost an anomaly in his career, despite winning two NBA finals during those four years. And he's just back into what he was doing before LeBron got there. Yeah. Except he's facilitating more. Go ahead, I'm sorry, what was that? I said except he's facilitating more, but that's about it. Right, yeah. But I, we're kind of seeing that, that maybe LeBron unintentionally has somewhat of a negative impact on how everybody shares the ball because he's just so dominant with the ball and he can do so much of everything. It's it's hard to qualify, at least for me it is. Maybe you have more insight than I do. But we're starting to see some of that early season trouble in Cleveland. And, and, and conversely, you know, Bosch and Wade look as good as they ever have. I mean, again, maybe just a, sh- a shade lower than they have been you know, prior to coming to Miami, but very consistent. I mean, Bosch's numbers of 24 and 10. I think somebody tweeted out earlier that he's got 20. He's the only player with 24, 10, and three assists that he's averaging over the course of, you know, six or seven games. I mean, that's in the yeah. NBA. I mean, that's incredible. 
uh, that he's, he's performing and doing everything that you could expect. People saw his rebounding numbers in Miami, called him soft, you know, didn't think that he had the potential to, to return to the version that he was in Toronto. And, you know, maybe to that extent they're right because he's actually better. I think his, his, his mid-range game has improved. His outside shooting has improved. He's doing everything, and he's still getting those boards and, and being a facilitator. So uh, between Bosch and Wade, it's just a return to form. But I don't know, maybe even a better version of themselves because they are a little bit, you know, smarter, a little bit more mature. They know how to, you know, use every tool in the tool, you know, tool shed or whatever, uh, toolbox, sorry. There you and, go. And, and, it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's looking great, man. I don't know what to say else about it. It's just it's really great. I didn't, you know, no, we can't get too high or too low on any one loss or victory. But uh, last night's was a very good one. And maybe you know we wouldn't be talking this way if Chandler Parsons hits for average and, and does a little bit better. And maybe you know they put Jay Crowder in there a little sooner, and maybe Nurkovitsky gets twenty points instead of seventeen. But I mean today. We can look back at last night and, and just really revel in what was a, a very good and complete victory for Miami. I'm just I'm looking at the Eastern Conference right now, and the Cavs are they'll get it together. The Bulls, you know, Derrick Rose has already missed a game, and who knows what's happening with that guy again? Uh, they're still five and two without him. That's a good point, uh, but they're not going to get to the finals without him. And nope. I think the Heat are a contender in the East, and you and I talked about it before uh, we got really, really depressed for some reason, right before the season started. Before that, we were ta- we were kind of high on this Heat team, and we I always thought this team was a top-four seed. Everybody else, I've, I feel, were t- was talking about this team as maybe a playoff team in the East, right. sixth, seventh, eighth seed kind of thing. Um, but Eric Spolstra coaching the team, Again, he doesn't run set plays, but he's created almost this, it's almost like a Phil Jackson-esque thing, where you know how Phil has the triangle yeah. and it's more of a philosophy than it is a, a playbook, and it's right. that's kind of what Spolstra's got going. It's his pace and space, and he just tells everybody to go out, you know, five out wide, and run some stuff around, just move around, get into the post, facilitate, kick out, blah, 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 play to your strengths, and that's kind of what's going on here. And you have Wade and you have Bosch and Haslam and other players on that team that have been to the finals, have won championships. There's just, there's that heat swagger and there's just that, that this is a team that, even without LeBron, has been to four straight NBA finals. And I don't think that we gave that team enough, that fact enough credit, or maybe you and I didn't. A lot of people I don't think really recognize that because LeBron left, that this is still a team that organizationally from the top down is a championship team, and I feel like I work for the Heat right now the way I'm speaking, but it's there's something to that, and I, th- I think we saw that last night in a couple of these games against the Raptors and things like that. They're not, they're not intimidated by these big opponents. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good point. It's, it's worth mentioning. I think that the, the Doom and Hoopoo podcast was when we were kind of questioning exactly what kind of identity Miami would have. Mm-hmm. We weren't quite sure how they would pan out. And maybe it was the the loss of McRoberts, or maybe it was because we were relying too much on, say, Sean Williams. You know, after an over six, you know, you know, opening night, we weren't quite sure what kind of player he was going to mold into. But everything's worked out perfectly. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, maybe you have a lot of questions, and at least through seven games, they've answered them. Have there been low lights? Sure. I think the Charlotte game was a particularly bad one. I think, you know, you can look at what happened against Houston and say, well, they had a tremendous shooting night. I think Harden played tremendously. Dwight Howard 
clearly bullied us inside. But the Charlotte game, I think, is one where we didn't play the kind of offense that we should be playing more regularly. We can chalk it up to a back-to-back, um, but I don't think that you're going to use that as a viable excuse moving forward. Last night, on a back-to-back, much more difficult challenge against a much better team, I'd say, in Dallas. Uh, we met that challenge, and we outperformed any other game or any other performance this yeah. season. So I think these are good steps moving forward. And, and, and you know, maybe I keep—I hate to keep harkening back to that all dang comments, but, you know, maybe he is part of the issue here. You know, maybe he is fitting in. And although we're not going to get kind of incredible consistency from outside as far as the shooting is concerned, as long as he's able to do, as long as he's healthy enough to keep cutting and keep moving into the basket area, he's going to free up the offense, and that helps out everybody else. So maybe, you know, maybe as he's adjusting, we're going to see this version of the heat that we saw last night more regularly. I think you just nailed it. I don't think anybody really saw Dang taking on that cutting um, role. I think people saw him maybe more as a spot-up shooter and a post-up guy than just the way he's cutting to the basket and just finding open space. And it's absolutely, I think you nailed it, freed up the entire offense because it 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 just creates that other threat, that backdoor cut. And when you have that, when you have Wade posting up and you have Bosch just... He was 5 of 6 from mid-range, I believe, last night, or 5 of 7 or something. And uh, when he's hitting like that, it just... The, the the defense can't do anything, because in the modern NBA, you're trying to run guys off the three-point line, but the Heat were hitting well enough from three. Um, you're tr- and you're trying to take away the easy points from near the rim. And so the mid-range ends up being open, and nobody wants to take the mid-range shot because it's the least efficient shot in basketball, so on and so forth. That's kind of the whole analytics thing. But when you got Chris Bosh and he's hitting five or six mid-range jumpers, then you've basically answered all the defense's questions, and there's nothing they can really do about it. So, I mean, without, again, you don't want to go too high or too low, but without wanting to overstate things, you know, I guess you have to give it a nod to San Antonio, but can you make a case that Miami might be one of the better passing teams? I mean, there doesn't seem to be a glaring weakness. One through five, I think, are starting units. Seems like a very good passing unit. I mean, Bosch is clearly a good facilitator. Wade at his position is. Uh, I mean, Norris might be like one of the biggest weaknesses there. Sean Williams maybe isn't a great passer, but even I saw him make a couple of really sharp passes there. And and that's only going to continue to improve once McRoberts, Napier. I mean, you've got a deep team here that represents a lot of versatility. And I I think that's, if we're, you know, again, trying to to look at things positively and uh, stay away from the doom and gloom aspect. You know, they've, they've got a, a lot of different pieces there that can do a lot of different things. You know, they can shoot well, they can cut well, they can pass well. I mean, this looks like a very impressive team. And when they're moving the ball like that, there's just nothing that the defense can really do against it. They're going to get their open shots for the most part. Right. I just, and that's exact. I think that was a good stress to put on this team. It wasn't to replace LeBron, it wasn't to try to, you know, with LeBron gone and everybody said, oh, LeBron makes the the positionless approach possible. I think they're less positionless now because when they're doing their rotations, like the lineup rotations and subbing in and subbing out, they're pretty much sticking to your one through five as you typically do. They'll put in a three-guard lineup here and there, but that's about it. And it, they're more than open about it being a three-guard lineup. They're not trying to play Dwayne Wade in a small forward spot. They got three guys on the in the guard area on the perimeter, but um, I don't know if there is, you know, San Antonio, yeah, Miami. 
I'd probably yeah. put them right there. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll take it a step further. If the Heat win 50 games, that's possible in this Eastern Conference with the way they're playing. Um, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. I kind of been saying Chris Bosh on the All NBA team. One of that they should be in the MVP discussion. One of them should be right. I mean, if if this Heat team wins fifty games, Bosh or Wade should at least be in the MVP discussion. They probably won't win it. That's probably going to LeBron James somehow, but they should at least be in the conversation. I agree one hundred percent. I think uh, he's definitely warranted that through seven games. Statistically, he's up there. Like I pointed out, you know, he's one of the few players averaging what he is, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he's he's carried us to five victories and I think you know part of the thing with the MVP and it's so hard to quantify exactly who merits who deserves it because you have to be part of a winning team and you have to you know you have to change the way that that you as an individual and your team as a group is perceived and I think that's maybe that's the most important thing there that you could probably say about this team is that you know Bosch would change the narrative as to how Miami is perceived because everybody had discounted what they might be able to do, and clearly they're a threat and they're a very good team. So, you know, if they certainly win 50 games and maybe are as high as a three seed, why wouldn't you consider that a dangerous team and then him the most dangerous player on that team? So I, I certainly think he's worthy of consideration. Well, good. Um, <laughs> how's that for a segue? Yeah. Uh, well, I really want to talk about Shabazz Napier, and I don't have a good segue for it, so let's just talk about Shabazz Napier more. Okay. You don't seem happy about it. Well, I mean, he's taken us, you know, again, he is part of that kind of versatile lineup. He's, you know, he's not hitting he's got, shots. No, he's not. I don't know what his shooting percentage is here, but I'm going to say it's probably in the low 30s, I guess. It's, it's starting to concern me. I mean, I still, I'm not willing to take him off my... He's he's still my Tony Douglas of the year, but um, what was I calling the Tony Bulldog Douglas? Award. What? The Bulldog Award. The Bulldog Award. Yep, there we go. You answered my question. Yep, he's my Bulldog of the year, Shabazz Napier, and um, I'm not. I think I almost elevated Sean Williams to Bulldog of the year in the preseason, and then just I I got really low on him when he was playing like crap, and then kind of yanked the Bulldog away from him. And I. That given, was just that first game, though. Don't don't you know count him out of the running yet? He had that terrible first game, but then after that he bounced back real nicely. And then you know I, I've contended all year when I saw him in the preseason. You know again on a really small eight game sample size, I thought he was either going to be hot shooting or hot garbage because that's how he was. You know through those first eight games, it was like thirteen points, and then you know two points the next night, and then you know fifteen points, and then four. And so he was just on and off. But he's been consistent. I mean, again, yeah. not a lot of scoring, but he's hitting it with some pretty good regularity there. So. Can I have two Bulldogs, or does that kind of devalue the first Bulldog? Um, I don't see why not, man. It's your award show. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> so Shabazz Napier, yeah, he needs the shots need to start falling, because if they're not, then I feel like teams are going to figure him out, and basically they're just going to hound him. And that's going to be it, because when if he doesn't have the space, then he's not going to be able to do the things that he likes to do, which is like move around and create space and, and find open guys. And if they just put somebody a little bit bigger on him and just hound him a little bit, it's just going to impair his vision. He's not going to be able to pass it, and he's not going to be able to... He's not really a threat to shoot, and um, 
That's a huge issue because when he's not a threat to shoot and Chalmers isn't scoring 18 points and North Cole is playing the way he is all season, Miami's still not getting any scoring from the point guard position. Yeah. Cole for four last night, uh, Cole for two from downtown, mm-hmm. and he took another long-range shot. You know, it's, it's tough because ever since you pointed it out, I've been really trying to, to key in on seeing it, but he's still an active part of the offense even though his shot isn't out there. I, Pointed it out. I don't know if it was via the podcast or by text or whatever, but you made mention about how he's there for to make that extra pass, and he sees things one step ahead of everybody mm-hmm. else. I think it was on the podcast. Yeah, it was on right? last week's pod. Yeah, and, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I saw it around last night when he just, he just shifted the ball to the baseline. There, he was at the elbow, and he swung the ball perfectly. It led to an entry pass. I mean, he's just he's just part of the the, the good aspect of this team right now. So. He's going to continue to get those minutes, I think. And, and even when Norris Cole was producing, uh, well, I guess he didn't produce last night, but against Minnesota, he was pretty solid again. So I, I think he's going to continue to get some playing time, and he deserves it. 26 minutes last night. I mean, that's... And that says a lot. I mean, for one, a guy's not hitting shots, but he's still able to get in there for 26 minutes, and he's not as bad as a defender as he was advertised. He's a little bit better. He's not great, but he's a little bit better than what was advertised. Everybody's saying he was just a lousy defender coming out of college. But I think they were just looking at his size. And the weird thing about Napier is that he can get to the rim, and he can get a shot up near the rim, but they're just not falling. So at some point, I feel like that needs to fall. At some point, it just will, right? Like, I don't know if it's just a rookie getting used to the NBA type thing, maybe getting used to less space or bigger guys around him when he's shooting or, or what. I have no idea. I've never played in the NBA, but it's got to start happening. I mean, he was wide open on a lot of those shots, That's so true. I don't know. I mean, they, they look good. I mean, if he had just hit one or two of them, you know, I know he only went over four, it'd be a much different conversation here. But, I mean, I'm looking at his stat line. He had a block last night. I when mean, was when did that happen? Yeah, who does he block? I mean, was it Jameer Nelson was out there for a little while, but I don't know. I know they credit blocks kind of weird. Like, if sometimes if the ball's, like, going up, they might give him a block instead of a steal, even though it's more kind of a stealish type play. Maybe that's yeah. what it was, something like that. Looking at the, all the statistics here, Josh McRoberts, Udonis Haslam, and Napier all get credited with a block. <laughs> McRoberts does the block. same thing as Napier does, though. He, the whole, he's a great passer. Um, you can really see it in effect the last couple of nights, especially against the Mavericks, because there were a couple of plays where, like Napier, he'd make the pass to the assist. Yes. And there was one play in particular where, I can't remember, I, put the, I actually recorded it and put it up on YouTube where he, um, I don't remember the two other players involved, but he passed it to one, one player, and then basically just pointed out the next pass. Yes, I think it was cutting to Dan. It say was Dan, Dan, right? I think, yeah, I think he finished off the play. But yeah, you're right, I, I did see that. And it was, that was very interesting, because that was exactly what uh, Napier does. Um, and Napier will literally point it out to the guy that, or like I was talking about, um, I think on the last podcast, where he asked for the ball so he could make the extra pass. Right. Um because he knew that Chalmers or Cole weren't, wasn't going to do it. So those, those two players have really great vision, and they just have a knack of facili- for facilitating, like we heard about from Charlotte and like we heard about from UConn, where these guys are just, they have the vision and they have the foresight to make that extra pass and just opens everything up. And I think that's why you see Napier playing so much more in the fourth quarter, even though he can't score. He's just, he just kind of loosens things up. Someday that shot will fall, and when mm-hmm. he does, he'll be uh, you know, he'll be an all star. For now, at least, I 
releases, there's just going to be growing pains. And, and you know, he's he, he's getting more minutes. He's he's been a consistent part of the rotation, and that's fine. I, I you know, he hasn't been a hindrance. Let's say. I mean, if there's a point in time where his lack of shooting, like you mentioned, is going to be you know a four or five situation when you can just lay off him completely because he can't knock down that shot, and then then you have to you know take him out of the lineup. But for now, it's not a problem, and he's still able to swing the ball effectively enough so that we're still scoring while he's out on the floor. So as long as he's part of the, you know, he's not part of the problem, but he's part of the solution, I'm fine. So the Heat played a bunch of back-to-backs. Uh, yeah. This next week, no back-to-backs. Actually, it's going to be quite a while. We don't have a back-to-back until uh, Saturday, November 22nd, and Sunday, November 23rd, and that's against Orlando, which not it's at Orlando, so not it's a it's a travel game, but not really. And then, um, and then it's Charlotte at home. So looking ahead, Wednesday it's the Pacers, Friday at Atlanta, and Sunday against Milwaukee. So some nice spacing in between those games. The Pacers is not the game that we thought it would be, but they still have Roy Hibbert, and Roy Hibbert has that L. Jefferson thing about him where he just goes off and has one of his career games every time we play him. But um, looking ahead, what do you think about that Pacers game? I don't even know what to expect because I think, you know, we keep hearing of a new injury taking place over the last, you know, a couple of days or whatever. So, I mean, I guess clearly you'd have to say that the Heat are our favorite there. I mean, what's left of that roster, I don't even know if anybody other than Hibbert has played consistently enough against Miami to carry that chip on his shoulder that you might expect from them. You know what, you but, make a good point. The Heat are not injured at all outside of Chris Anderson and Danny Granger. And those guys are expected back. They've kind of they're kind of dealing with all their injuries now, and McRoberts and Hamilton in the off season. If once these guys get healthy and they don't really suffer many injuries, like knock on wood, we stole the Dwayne Wade knee thing. But the Heat have been really lucky so far, I think. I mean, and I know we do have injuries, but nothing to a key contributor, right? Unless you want to consider Birdman a key contributor, and I think you should. But it's we're getting it out of the way early, I think. Yeah, I mean, and he's not going to be. You know, maybe once he comes back, then maybe he will be a hindrance. Then maybe maybe he will limit that kind of ball movement. Unless he's the you know the recipient of that excellent ball movement down low. Maybe he's the one. I mean, he's not much of a mismatch there. You know, nobody's going to lay off him defensively because of his outside shooting or anything like that. But you know, maybe he'll be the one who's just, who's you know there in the low post, and he's going to be the one that's freed up, and they'll be able to find him effectively. You know, once he's open. Or well, there'll be two things that he does. He got he'll have the putback dunks, which we're missing right now. Yeah. And he's got that backdoor cut, which is really good. Um, I remember writing something. I guess it was a couple of years ago. Was I even writing back then? I don't even. For all you can eat, I don't even remember. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was talking about it to somebody. But it was two years ago, and. The he was that backdoor cut to Chris Anderson was the play that we used to beat the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and so and they he did it again last year, but that that's a huge you know asset to this team when when he's got it going and when he's healthy. So they'll he'll have those two things, but yeah, I mean Wade's looked amazing. It's he's playing he's played every back to back. He's played every game this season. He's looked. Good in every game, even if he hasn't played as well as he could have in every game, he's looked really, really good. It's not like he looked unhealthy or slow or hurt. He's not limping. He's not really hobbling around. He's making all the moves that he wants to make. I mean, it's actually it's blowing my mind. I know it's only been what six games now, but or seven games now. So there's still you know 
plenty more games for him to get injured, but... Yeah, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You're right, you're right, you're right. Let's go, okay, Friday. Friday, the Hawks. Friday, the Hawks. Well, I mean, no, let's look at the Pacers for a second, because, I mean, okay. that's, you know, maybe, again, like I was saying, if, if West was there, you can carry some of that old hatred from the last few years going up against LeBron, but with LeBron gone and everybody on the lineup, you know, hurt, basically, you know, what's, what, what do we expect? Can't... Can they muster any kind of artificial hatred towards Miami that might, you know, foreseeably propel them to a victory? Because I'd have to say at this point, I mean, they might be the weakest roster in the NBA. I mean, you can make a case that maybe if Nerlens Noel is healthy, the 76ers aren't that bad a lineup. Maybe uh, the Hibbert is still an all-star, I guess, even though he's not an overall contributor anymore. I mean, it's just tough to tell. Yeah. What are his numbers like? Because I don't even know at this point, but I'm, I'm curious how he matches up. It's almost irrelevant, isn't it? I haven't been. I don't think I've watched any Pacers this year. I mean, I think I have because I accidentally did it. Yeah. But no, I'm looking at it right now. Twelve and a half per game, point-wise, eight, you know, point three rebounds per yeah. game. Still blocking shots, almost at four games. Has he hit his peak? I think he may have hit his peak. I mean, I guess you'd have to say so. Um, I, mean, it's, I don't know if that's coming back, because how often do you see a center just kind of go up and down? You, every, you know, big guys, like centers, big centers, seven-footers, they usually hit their peak, and then and then that's about it. And his numbers have been going down for a couple of years now, about a year and a half now. I, yeah, I think he I mean, may I mean, have peaked. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that one. And it's, I'm fine with it, you know. You, yeah, uh, that's fine with like, me. <laughs> Where do you... At this point in the East, let's just considering. The, I know Derrick Rose is a little hobbled right now, but let's just say he's healthy. Where is Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade in the top players in the East right now? I mean, you got LeBron. Paul George is injured, so he doesn't count. Derrick Rose. I don't even know. Derrick Rose isn't playing better than Bosh. No, definitely not. You know, I'm trying to think of who else is having a great year right now in the East. Um, East, I think you know with Chicago, you get so many you know good contributions all over the place. I don't yeah. know that anybody really has really player. stepped up. But John Wall's that's, having a great year. That's true. Um, uh, Big Al Jefferson. Al Jefferson. Al yep. Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry's having another good year. Demar Derozan's having a good year. But I don't know if any of those guys, none of them are head and shoulders above Bosh. Bosh, I think, still having a better year than all those guys. It yeah, might be- I'm glad you brought up Toronto because you know they're currently on a lot of lists ranked as the top team in the Eastern Conference, and I think that's you know also because of their record, which stands at five and one. But if you look at their your their you know their schedule, they haven't really faced any good competition except for the Atlanta Hawks at the opening night, which they did beat, and then they lost to us. Other than that, they played a Boston team that is really depleted. Um, they played the Magic. They played the 76ers. I mean, they really haven't faced anybody of consequence. They did beat the Wizards, but then again, so did we. So when you look at you know the matchup in the East as far as whether Toronto or Miami should be more highly ranked, I think we faced a much tougher caliber of opponent, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. We were talking about it before the year, our, our, the way our um, opening schedule kind of started. It was rough, the Wizards, the Hawks. Um, we had the Mavericks. Who else? I'm missing somebody in there. Uh, oh, Charlotte, Houston. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, we lost against Charlotte and Houston, but we've gotten off to a five and two start against some quality opponents, and it's not like we kind of stole those games either. You know, those games that we won, we we won by a, a good margin. We've kind of earned those wins, and uh, I've been really impressed with this team. I don't know if 
if you're power ranking the East right now, the Heat are in. I would probably put them at two behind Le- LeBron James and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, and they're probably. If if you're talking about to the extent to which a team can play and how good they can play, the Heat are, I think, playing better than the Cavs. But I I would still give the edge to the Cavs just because of the sure. unload, you know, the loaded talent. But yeah, and, and I hope that Hornets loss doesn't come back to bite us in, in the ass at some point because it just you know it, you know with every game being as vital as it is. Because you perceive the Eastern Conference being so up and down, and so many potential contenders, and everybody fighting for the last playoff spot, I, I hope that doesn't you know come down. It's especially you know again, you know, jinx it. But if injuries play a factor later on, we definitely need all of those early victories as much as possible. So, but anyway, you know, Indiana. Let's say that we're going to knock them off, okay. if not fairly easily. I, I think we have a very good match there. It should be a good opportunity. One of the things I had wanted to point out, I totally forgot, was. If you're looking to be more Spursy in the way you move the ball around, and I don't know that the Heat hasn't exactly done that, but I'm a little concerned with how many minutes their supposed big three is getting. I think they had way too many minutes yesterday. I think Bosch had way too many. Wade had too many. Yeah. And it has to be concerned. I think you have to try and keep it around low 30s moving forward just so that it you know gives everybody a chance to rest. And maybe that's what Granger can contribute once he comes back to the lineup. Maybe he'll be able to spot those guys at certain points. I know he can certainly play for for, for you know um, for for Dang at the small forward position. Maybe he can go in there as a power forward, and you have Birdman in at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you know a different hybrid lineup. You want to try and get those minutes down as much as possible. I think when Anderson's back, he's definitely going to take minutes away from Bosch. Bosch is playing something like 36, 37 minutes a game. The Heat have been doing a pretty good job keeping Wade at 30, 31 minutes. Um, right. Last night, you're right, he played at something close to 36 minutes. That's got to come down, you're right. And I think, as but that's new for Spolstra, too, and I think he's going to get used to it. Um, and and it's so not a lot. Wade. I mean, they're, they're not averaging a lot of minutes, right. per se. But you're right, they need to keep that those minutes down. And when Anderson comes back, it should help Bosch. And, uh, yeah. Keeping Wade's minutes down is going to be important too. I, I thought that they could have played Chalmers more than they played him last night. And that and that goes perfectly with, with what you know you and I had talked about early in the, in the season when he well when you first pitched the idea of him being a six man and, and thus getting your job as assistant coach for the Heat. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> he, he's he's still getting a, a, a bunch of minutes. He's still playing mm-hmm. a considerable amount of time. And yeah, he lost his cool, but he's being productive. Um, he was producing last night. I mean, he's still been a factor, so I think that's uh, a welcome sight. I don't think anybody saw that you know that he was going to be demoted and that he was going to thrive as much as he has been. But I, I'd go so far as to say he is definitely a six-man candidate. I, I don't know why he hasn't warranted the kind of buzz, and maybe it's because you know he's got that, that you know narrative about him as far as that, you know he's too cocky, he's overconfident, etc. And that's you know, part of why we love him, I guess. But but it's also why I think people across the country sort of dismiss his performances as just you know him being cocky. He needs to score something like those 18 points a game every night for him to get really into the conversation. Because you're right, he's got that narrative. He needs to really overcome it. But Jamal Crawford was a, a, a volume shooter on a lot of bad teams, and he joined the Clippers, and he won six-man last year. So um, there's still hope for Chalmers. But he needs to really score. I think he's been kind of around 14 points a game. If he can get up to 18 points a game, like he was last night, um, and just you know chip away at his bad reputation, so to speak, 
maybe not this year, but once he gets like maybe next year. I don't know. Looking at the future odds for Chalmers winning Sixth Man of the Year. Um, okay, Atlanta Friday night. They're two and three. I thought they'd be really good this year. Atlanta could. Atlanta's a candidate to blow it up right before the trade deadline. I think so. I think Al Horford, um, if if they move him, you can move Teague because they have Dennis Schroeder, you know, as the backup point guard there, the rookie that they drafted in the first round a couple years ago. They can move him. Kyle uh, Kyle Korver can get them a bunch of stuff. I think there's there's title contenders that would love to add uh, Kyle Korver. Maybe the Thunder would like to add Kyle Korver. Who knows? There's, there. I think the Hawks are candidate to blow this thing up because if they're they're two and three right now, and if things don't really get any better for them, I don't really see the point of hovering around that eighth seed like they've been doing. It might just be time to just, like I said, just start over. I mean, they're not going to be able to hold on to Al Horford that much longer. Kyle Korver's getting older. Teague's getting older. It might just be time to reload. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't, I haven't heard about. I think they're all in for this year. I think they're counting on, on you know, making some noise as the season moves forward. So well, I by February, if they've, if they haven't won 20, 20 games by February, then they're blowing that thing up. Uh, they've got to. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But that's I mean, who we're playing Friday. So what do you think? I think. Uh, we have a good chance to beat them. I know they have. They do create some matchup problems for us, mm-hmm. particularly Corver. I think that's a, an issue, and, and you can't dismiss what Millsap does. I, for whatever reason, he's just one of those guys that always plays extremely well, dating back to his Utah Jazz days. As a member of the Hawks, he's, he's consistently shot us. You know, he was in the All Star game last year. He's yeah, a good player. Probably based on performances that he had against Miami. So <laughs> <laughs> he, he does. He does scare me. Corver can get going. Uh, we saw that, I think, in the preseason where we were, you know, I think we were beating them, and all of a sudden he gets really hot from outside. And I think that's just the nature of his game against anybody. But, um, you know, we, we've had some shaky perimeter defense at points. So I think we're going to need to see that better version of the heat that we saw last night, you know, keeping everybody off their toes, you know, getting them into early foul trouble, hopefully. And, and then, then hopefully you can, you know, not worry about their contributions late in the game because, I mean, we did slip up a little bit against Minnesota. You don't want to do that against mm-hmm. a team that could be potentially much more dangerous in Atlanta. So I think that's going to be a tough challenge. I think you're right. I think uh, I'll give you my predictions for this next week after. I think, well, we could count Sunday, right? Because we're not going to have a podcast before then probably um, unless we- something really important comes up. So Sunday is also this week, even though it's technically next week. Um, the, on Sunday? the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Atitacompo. Nope, I didn't get that one right. I think you did. You did. did I? Atitacompo. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Kidd is the head coach of the Bucks, and he's one of my favorite coaches in the NBA, um, at least for entertainment value. So I'm really excited for Sunday's game. I'm also excited to see Gian- Point Giannis. I'm excited to see Jabari Parker. I think this is a, this is a possible trap game because... The Heat play the Brooklyn Nets um, on Monday. So I think I lied when I said our next back-to-back is November 22nd. So our next back-to-back is next week, Sunday to Monday, um, going from Milwaukee at home to Brooklyn in Barclays. So it's a, I think Milwaukee has potential for somebody random to get hot and for us to have our first um, 
random heat killer of the year. No, I, I, I'm going to go the opposite route. I think I think you're right on. I think they showed something that they're not going to take any opponent lightly. They they got past Minnesota, um, and I think they're going to get past Milwaukee as well on Sunday. And I don't think they're going to overlook the Bucks just because they're going to face you know the the, the, the or I guess the Nets the following day. So I think um, you know they could have done that against Dallas. I, they did not. They came out better than ever. So, I mean, they were traveling on the road. I, I think it's going to be a, a four-game sweep. I think we could possibly be looking at a team that's 9-2 hmm. and two by next week. By the wow. time we do our next podcast, it could be up to 9-2. and two. That's, That would be impressive. That would be. That would be quite impressive. It would be very impressive if you nailed it, too. Um, I think they go 3-1. and one. I think they lose a game somewhere in there. I think losing to the uh, 76ers in the opening game of the season last year has scarred me forever of just dropping games that they have no business losing. But didn't we see that kind of attitude from LeBron very regularly, I think? Yeah, the LeBron Heat dropped games that they weren't supposed to lose, like, all the time. And maybe just in general, that's where I'm kind of scarred right now. And this, you're right, this is a team that gets up for every game because they have to, because a playoff berth is not guaranteed anymore. So maybe I'm wrong trying to predict these trap games on back-to-backs. But maybe it's only been seven games and we have no idea what's actually going to happen. There we go. It's <laughs> really instilling a lot of confidence in our vast viewership or listenership at this point. <laughs> so um, let's end this on a high note. Where are you watching them play in the NBA Finals? Well, I'm a vegetarian, so as much as I'd like to say, they both You're lying. What? You're not a vegetarian. I am. Are you really? I am. Yeah. I didn't know this about you. Yeah. How long have you been a vegetarian? Ten years. Wow. Good for you, I think. Yeah, I mean... Are you allergic, or is it just like a yeah, lifestyle choice? Well, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It usually has all sorts of odd connotations, but no, yeah. Lifestyle choice. And then, I don't want to upset anybody, so I won't go into any further, any further discussion about it. But if anybody wants, you can always hit me up on Twitter. I'll be happy to discuss my vegetarian lifestyle. Huh. So, yeah, no Buffalo Wild Wings for me. I am viewing you in a completely different way now, David. Not in a bad <laughs> way. Um, Thanks. I just had no idea. So, what are you, what, wait, so what are you eating tonight for dinner? What am I eating tonight for dinner? I am uh, having tofu. What Mexican food? Mexican-style tofu tacos. Ooh, that sounds good. I've eaten those before. Okay. There's a place in college I used to go to that had tofu burritos, and I used to eat those all the time, so... Good times. Yeah, they have it. They have it at, at Moe's. You know? That Moe's. That's what I'm talking about. Moe's. They don't have Moe's in California, David. Did you know that? I did not. But you know what? Like California, I guess. Again, here is our, our you know invariable digression in every <laughs> podcast. You know, California is like the burrito capital, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, people like say that, capital, but I haven't had a burrito as good as Moe's yet. I'm sorry. I haven't had a burrito as good as Moe's. But maybe. Yeah, It's more uh, it's more Southern California, and I'm in the Bay Area, so Southern uh, California is where you get more of the um, the Mexicans that make kick-ass burritos. But up here, it's mostly Asians, so all the sushi is really awesome. Yes, but I did. I don't know if you saw on five thirty eight. Have you have you gone on the the burrito bracket? Yes, I did. <laughs> Wasn't of course there I did. like an amazing like sushi burrito that was supposed to be from San Fran? What? I don't remember this. This was a while ago, this burrito bracket. So I don't. I need to go back and, and reference that. 
There was Maybe a, it was right before the off season, during the offseason. Yeah, right you know what it was, was um, a lot of those burrito places were in California, and I think yeah. I got overwhelmed, and I just shut my computer off. <laughs> Too much overload. <laughs> I, was, was, I was like, I can't, I can't. I was going to bookmark all of them on Yelp or something, and I was like, nope, this is just going to take up the rest of my memory. Because it was like a solid half of those places were from California. I just couldn't handle it. Um, okay, so I think that's it. We had our digression. I think we hit all of our points. Um, cereal or not cereal, really quick. Indiana cereal. Um, yep. Atlanta. Hmm. Atlanta is a tough one to call because they've got that, you know, Spurs coach, you know, the former assistant coach there, so I don't know if they're a cereal or not. They might well, be more oatmeal. Hmm. What would you consider Greg Popovich? Greg Popovich eats cereal, but he eats it with wine, because I know he's a big connoisseur. So yeah. it's not milk or, or anything else. I think he actually like puts a bowl of wine and then dumps his frosted flakes in there. I just see him eating Eggs Benedict. No, you can't because then the holiday sauce gets stuck in that beer. He's got to go oh, with the heavy Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he'll so, stick to the Denver omelet then. Um, so the Hawks, I would say cereal. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's possible. They could go either way. I, I mean, Corver, you know, he's like the guy in that team, Millsap. I, they're, they're real solid types. I don't think they go for the cereal. I don't know. To be honest with you, they might be like egg white kind of guys. Ooh. I like egg whites. There we go. I think that's it. So not cereal. All right, Milwaukee Bucks, totally cereal. cereal. Absolutely. Totally cereal. Oh, that was an easy one. All right. Yeah, like John, John is having like multiple cereals at once. Like he doesn't care. He just mixes them all up together. That's why he's the versatile player he is. Fruit Loops, Cheerios, and he somehow still has a box of those uh, Oreo cereals that don't exist. The Oreo cereal that doesn't exist anymore. Yes. He's the yes. Oreos, right? Oreos. Yeah, specially made for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got Oreos. All right. <laughs> I think that wraps this thing up, David. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope so. Okay. Thanks for joining me. You got it, man. Take care. This has been The Heat Check. You can find mine and David's writing at allyoucanheat.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes now. Subscribe. Subscribe to The Heat Check. Rate us. Say nice things about us. Give us a four-star review. Or even better, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.